What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. What do you get when you mix a bunch of thirsty tourists in 1920s Washington, D.C. with a young man passing through on his way back home to Utah? The beginning of one of the world's most impressive and long-standing hotel brands. That's what. Well, that's what you get if the young man's name is J. Willard Marriott. the show where we dive into the strange but true stories of iconic companies. Whether they're a current bright star in the midst of a massive dumpster fire or settling into the dust heap of history, they all have a past worth knowing. I'm Dana Barrett. I'm a former tech executive, an entrepreneur, and a TV and radio host. And over the course of my career, I've interviewed thousands of business leaders and reported on the bright beginnings and massive flameouts of the brands we know and love. Most of their stories are about humble beginnings— Some are about true visionaries, and some are about hard work and taking risks. Bizography is a production of iHeartRadio and DB Media and is co-hosted, as always, by my producer, Nick Bean. Thank you, Dana. Always good to be here. I think Marriott's story is about filling the gap, right? Filling a void, looking at something and going, hmm, there's an opportunity here. We're going to do it. Yeah, and then doing it really well. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I um, was at a conference the other day, the Shadow Summit, and I heard Michael J. Coles speak, uh, you know, very well-known entrepreneur himself. And he was talking about the story of David and Goliath and saying that while most people take away uh, that the little guy won, that's what they take away from the story of David and Goliath, what he takes away is that David had the courage to get in the game without knowing the outcome. And in so many ways, that's what the Marriott story is about for me. The fact that they just kept trying things um, and they didn't know if they were going to work or not. And they just went for it. Yeah, they jumped two feet into the deep end every time. Yeah. And it worked. And also a little bit, you know, just using the David and Goliath thing, that they sort of started as David and now they're Goliath. 
Right. Uh, right? And while so many of our bizography episodes have focused on companies that came from nothing and became huge, most of those companies became the monster in the story instead of remaining the hero. But I don't think that's true for Marriott. Of course, we're going to have to dig in and see. <laughs> and of course, if we're going to dig in and see, the best place to start is always with the founder. In this case, it was John Willard Marriott. He was born in 1900 in Marriott Settlement, Utah on September 17th. He was the second of eight kids. Okay, hang on real quick, Dana. Um, before we go too far down Jay Willard's, you know, founding story, let's talk a little bit about where he's from. You said Marriott Settlement, Utah, right? Yeah. A guy named Marriott, born in a place called Marriott. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I know that's not true for everyone. I was not born in Barrettown. <laughs> Were you born in Beantown? Uh, no, I was not, nor am I from Boston, also known as Beantown. <laughs> so, no. All right, so fair enough. I think we do probably need to explain a little bit about why he was in a place called Marriott Settlement. Right. Now, I know the Marriott family is Mormon. I think a lot of people probably know that if you have even looked a little bit mm -hmm. at the history of the company. But did all Mormon families have towns named after them? Uh, no, not all of them did. But around that time, many of them did, right? Oh. The Marriott's were kind of right place, right time with that. To know why, though, you kind of have to go back to the start of the Mormon church, which was founded by Joseph Smith, who was from Western Pennsylvania. I think most people have heard his name before. He's the founder of, it's the Church of Latter-day Saints, to be technical. So Western Pennsylvania, where he's from. And this guy is basically... Unknown scammer. He was a treasure hunter that never actually found treasure. <laughs> Not good. So, no. So when he did eventually found the church, there was already a bad stigma around him and the people who followed him. To, to make a long story as, as short and succinct as I can, they end up leaving Western Pennsylvania and going to Ohio because they were being persecuted, for lack of a better word, in Western Pennsylvania. People just didn't like the Mormons. So they went to Ohio and things are working okay till Smith himself gets wrapped up in a bank scandal where they owe a ton of money to debtors and an underage sex scandal in like 1830 or so. so I, didn't know, I didn't know they had sex scandals back then. Yeah, no. Did, did uh, they have Twitter? Uh, no, they didn't. But unfortunately, <laughs> us humans have been really bad about keeping it in our pants for <laughs> centuries. So there's that. So they end up leaving Ohio and they go to move the Mormon church down to Missouri. Now, before they get to Missouri, Smith goes down to check things out. And on the way, he and a friend get essentially knocked unconscious and literally tarred and feathered. Yeah, that doesn't happen usually when you're, like, popular and well-loved. Usually not. I also thought that stuff only happens in cartoons. They don't do that in real life. But yeah. no, it actually happened and was left for dead, essentially. So then they end up getting to Missouri, and they're like, okay, we're not getting tarred and feathered, but the Missourians hate the Mormons even more. They've got more political influence because their numbers are growing, and there's a lot of religious differences between the native Protestant Missourians and the Mormons. Long story short here... The Missouri governor essentially calls for the extermination and expulsion of all Mormons out of the state of Missouri. It, it causes what becomes the Mormon War of 1838. The Mormons don't win because they're fighting an organized government militia from the state of Missouri, and they end up fleeing to Illinois after Missouri. While they're in Illinois, they start another settlement that starts to gain a lot of political power and a lot of religious power. And again, scandals, more bank scandal, another sex scandal with founder Joseph Smith and the government of Illinois turns against the Mormons. Smith actually gets imprisoned this time and is killed in prison, 
which leaves the Mormon church, again, with no real home and now with no real leader. So the person who ends up taking over is the leader of what's basically, I think it's called their Council of Twelve. Okay. And the leader is a man, you've probably heard this name, by Brigham Young. Indeed. Yes. He has a university named after him. He ends up being the head of the Mormon church and goes, okay, we've been to six different states. This is not working out. We are going to go ahead and the entire Mormon church is going to go out to this really cool place out west I've heard of called the Salt Lake Valley. And in 1847, they establish Salt Lake City, Utah. A couple years later, in the mid, right around 1850, he tells all the Mormon families that are gathered, hey, not all of you, but most of you, let's go out and settle most of the West, Arizona, New Mexico. And the Marriott's were one of these families that headed to northern Utah and settled. And at that point, when they would settle, they were essentially trying to start their own towns. So they had the Marriott settlement or the Smith settlement or whatever. So that's why it has its name. Here's the catch, though. It actually is now incorporated as the city of Marriott Slaterville. So it's still named after the family. Except but mostly, now it's it's the, the it's because they're Marriott's, right? right? It's the modern Marriott's. Got That's it. why it's stuck. Got it. All right. Well, so it's interesting because like that whole history of them, you know, of course, America was moving west at the time, too. Right. Um, but it's interesting that they were finally like, all right, we're going to skip a bunch of states and go further west. Because right. this every like one or two <laughs> states thing is not working. It was not. Not working. All right, so that's how they got there. So let's bring it back and talk about uh, J. Willard Mm. Marriott, who is known as Bill, by the way. Um, As a kid in Utah, he was pitching in with the family. They had a farm. They were raising sugar beets and sheep. And he was working from the time he was a little kid. They were not rolling in the dough. They were homesteaders, essentially, Mm. right, with their farm, as you said, their settlement. And he later looked back and credited his father, really, and his father's leadership style as instrumental in his own self-reliance and ability to solve problems. Here's a quote from J. Willard Marriott, senior as we know him now. Quote, my father gave me the responsibility of a man, uh, he said. He would tell me what he wanted done, but he never said much about how to do it. It was up to me to find out for myself, which I think is, interestingly enough, still a leadership style that works. Yeah, You know, if you just, not that you should tell people not to ask questions, but essentially if you say, you're smart, figure it out. And you let, you dealt with, that's true delegation, right? Right, absolutely. He kind of was left to his own devices. Right, and made it work. So to that end, in 1913, at only 13 years old, Bill Marriott goes into business for himself. He gets his younger siblings involved and they raise lettuce on the farm. Well, that's not a crop that they had been working on. So at the end of the summer, the harvest brings in $2,000. This is 1913, wow. so that's a lot of money. And Marriott takes the money proudly to his dad. Because of that, his dad now trusts him. And a year later, entrusts him literally with the sale of a herd of 3,000 sheep. He puts the 14-year-old Bill Marriott by himself, well, with the sheep, <laughs> on a train to San Francisco. Why sent a 14-year-old to the big city alone. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that is not something you would do in modern times. No, not at all. Can you imagine like giving your 14-year-old essentially like your entire business and being like, here, take this, go on some kind of transit by yourself to another city to sell it. I don't want to give my 16-year-old just my car to go to the store down the street. No question. <laughs> not to mention the fact that you'd probably get arrested for like child neglect if you put your 14-year-old on a train with all of your business. Right. <laughs> I will say, though, think of how pivotal that's got to be. Only a 14-year-old going, I can handle this. I got wow. this. Right. So fast forward a couple of years to 1919. Now Bill is 19 years old and he goes off on a two-year mission for the Mormon church in New England. 
Uh, so I guess they were trying to go back from where they started and right. recruit people, right? Uh, so he's there for two years, and in the summer of 1921, at the end of the mission, he starts his travel back to Utah, where he's going to pursue a college degree. But on the way home, he passes through Washington, D.C., in the middle of summer. It's hot. It's muggy. It's gross. And he's touring around, and he's seeing all these hot, thirsty tourists, and he's watching this pushcart peddler go down the street selling lemonade and soda pop and ice cream. And in minutes, this guy is cleaned out. He's doing a great business. But then he has to take all this time to go back where he came from up the street, get another cartload of stuff, and come back. And Bill sees an opportunity. But not one he's going to do anything about right then. It's really just a seed in his brain. He continues his journey back to Utah where he goes to college. And he's kind of out there doing his thing for a little while. So how does that little seed from that you know, tourists stop through in Washington, <laughs> D.C., turn into the Marriott International that we know now? We'll tell you right after this. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. 
With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O.com. All right, so remember, it's 1921 when young Bill Marriott travels through hot, muggy Washington, D.C. and gets the seed of an idea of a business. Maybe there's some way to make money on these hot and thirsty tourists. But really, it's just the seed of an idea. He goes back to Utah, uh, and he goes uh, first to junior college, Weber Junior College, in 1923, graduates from there. Then in 1926, uh, graduates from the University of Utah. So we're talking five years later now. And then he goes to work for Weber College. So that's what he's doing. He's working away at Weber College. But really, this guy is an entrepreneur at heart. Remember, he's the guy that started a lettuce business at 13 (laughs) and took a herd of sheep on a train at 14. So all these years later, five, six years down the road, he is still thinking about those thirsty tourists in Washington, D.C. And he's thinking there's a business opportunity there. Around that same time, he hears about a cousin's A&W root beer franchise. And he starts thinking about that in combination with the thirsty tourists. And he decides to look into his own business. Side note here. Do you remember A&W root beer? Yeah, they're... Are they still around? I don't know. Are they? they? I think they've got like one in Florida last time I was down there. I mean, and they had, you could buy A&W root beer like in cans at the store. I don't know if you still can. Can you? Yeah. uh, Yeah. I feel like root beer had like a moment of popularity that that just is over. (laughs) It's true. And I think part of that is like the A&W brand. Maybe we have another bizography episode in the works here. Could be. Mm. And like like (laughs) tastes have changed or whatever. Like nowadays you'll see maybe like an indie root beer brand that sort of bubbles up and interesting people want to try cream soda or root beer like some of these old-timey kind of (laughs) soda flavors but yeah root beer was like the hot ticket back then so basically he was hopping on like a version of then's like mcdonald's yeah right right early franchise of uh an a and w root beer stand essentially is what they were so in 1927 bill marriott secures the a and w franchise rights for washington dc Baltimore, and Richmond. And he heads east along with a business partner named Hugh Colton and his soon-to-be wife, Alice Sheets. I feel like I want to do a whole episode on Alice because I'm sort of fascinated by her. First of all, like, this is 1927, and she goes off on a trip across the country from Utah to Washington, D.C. with a man she's not married to yet. Right. Like, that is bold. It's a big deal. For 1927. (laughs) That is bold. So it's 1927, um, and they've got $6,000 that they've pooled together, Hugh and and Bill and, and Alice. And I feel like there could be a sitcom there, maybe. <laughs> and they rent this space, this tiny little space, to open up their first A&W root beer place. And um, that first franchise opens on May 20th, 1927, on 14th Street in Washington, D.C. Just two weeks later, he, you know, Bill is true to his word— I'm sure he must have promised Alice yeah. before the trip. Uh, so two weeks into it, they get married. And essentially their honeymoon is their drive back to Washington, D.C. because they got married in Utah. So they're back and forth. Uh, and they drive back and wait for it, a Model T Ford. 
Wow. Nineteen twenty-seven. That's a long, long road trip. There's no interstate system. There's no air conditioning in that car. Oh, God. Just saying. Um, And it's May. Yeah. Ouch. They don't have, like, they can't (laughs) plug in their, you know, uh, iTunes or whatever and do some, you know, some singing along the way. Well, we know for one thing for sure. Alice loved this man. <laughs> she she clearly uh, she clearly did. But she also wasn't really expecting to be an integral part of the business. But pretty soon she found herself involved in almost every aspect of the company. I mean, it was a startup after all, essentially a family business. And we know how that goes. All hands on deck. Yeah, absolutely. And I think over the years, she really became like a really major player overall in Marriott, right? Yeah, she did. She was another woman who was in many ways ahead of her time, kind of like Brownie Wise, weirdly, from Mm -hmm. our Tupperware episode. Um, And like Brownie Wise, her name is sort of known inside the Marriott company, um, but her contributions aren't really talked about that broadly in terms of, you know, general purpose young women knowing who she was. Right. I, and it is interesting, though, the Marriott Corporation now has a community service award named after her. Yeah. So I mean, as I say, I feel like inside the company, she's yeah. beloved, you know, but I don't know that she got the broader kind of respect that she would have if she was in a different era. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, it's 1927 and the Marriott's have their, the Marriott, it's weird saying it like that, but you know, <laughs> the Marriott family has their nine seat, it's just the two of them, they have their nine seat root beer stand and then fall comes and you know, it gets cold after summer in DC and nobody wants a frosty mug of root beer anymore. So they do what real entrepreneurs do and find a solution. Alice finds some recipes, and they add hot food items to their menu. This is a first for A&W franchises, because up to that point, they were, you know, root beer stands with some seats, and that was it. Um, But to make sure the public will understand, they changed the name to Hot Shops. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, you know, originally I was saying, I think, I don't know if you and I were talking about this, Nick, before we started recording, but I was saying, I I don't know if Bill really, uh, Bill Sr., um, intended to have, you know, a giant company or really was just intending to have one or two stores. But it does sort of seem like he all along was trying to grow the business because he grows it pretty fast. Well, I think, you know, the business was kind of in his blood a little bit, right? Like whether he wanted to or not, he was going to innovate. Yeah. 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 So by 1928, uh, the family uh, opened their second and third businesses. So they end up opening two more hot shops, including the East Coast's first drive-in restaurant. Huh. Interesting. Well, did you know, do you want to take a guess as to where the first drive-in in the country was? Uh, Not on the East Coast. We ruled out that side, right? I mean, I know it wasn't Utah. I got. <laughs> You're not wrong. They didn't get the idea from home. No, the first one was in 1921 in Dallas, uh, Texas. It was called Kirby's Pig Stand. I kind of love that name. I really do. And while we're doing fun facts, I have to say even more fun. The largest drive-in still in operation to this day is the Varsity, which is right down the street from us. Where what do you we're have? Recording what do you have? Here in Atlanta. That's right. All right. In 1932, I keep calling them the Marriott family. They were really just Alice and Bill. Yeah. But in 1932, they have their first child, uh, their son, Jay Willard Marriott Jr., who they also call Bill just so it could be very confusing. Right. <laughs> There's two of them. You're not going crazy, people. That's right. So Junior is born in 1932, and ultimately he becomes the guy who's really responsible for the hotel empire that we know today. So we will get to him. Mm. But 
Let's just stick to our timeline here for a moment, because three years after Bill Jr. is born, in 1935, Bill Marriott Sr. is diagnosed with lymphoma and given between six months and a year to live. Wow. But he, this guy is just a beat-the-odds, I-can-take-3,000-sheep-on-a-train-when-I'm-14 guy. And so even with this diagnosis that was giving him one year, he should have been dead by 1936, but he lives till 1985. Wow. So I don't know how he was feeling in the mid-1930s because he's got this diagnosis, can't be feeling super great, but he continues to, um, you know, do business and he continues to see opportunity where others don't. And he actually sort of invents airline food in the United States in oh, 1937. Wait, really? How how does that even happen? So Hot Shops, a.k.a. Bill Sr. Right. And again, I don't know who else was sort of helping manage at the time. So there may have been other people that get some credit for this, but we're going to give it to Bill Sr. <laughs> he sees hungry people about to get on a plane, much in the same way he saw thirsty tourists in D.C., because now, you know, airline travel starting to become a thing. And he starts delivering box lunches from hot shops to passengers at Hoover Airport, which was near Washington, D.C. at the time. <laughs> and interestingly, the airline catering part of the business became a huge part of Marriott Corporation and really was integral up until the 1990s. You know, you would think, especially with the origin of restaurant and then moving into hospitality, obviously food would remain a big part. But yeah, that's interesting to know. It's till the 90s. Yeah. They were in airline food. Yeah. Well, the thing is, they were in, they started out as a restaurant business, right? And if you think about it, they really started out as a business to serve tourists. That's what they were about. They started in Washington, D.C., serving cold beverages to thirsty tourists. And these were additional tourists getting on an airplane. So they were seeing their customer um, in all of his or her different iterations and, and figuring out what they needed and how to serve them, which is, A classic business example, honestly, that I've gone back to many, many times, because I know back in the day when you and I were doing business radio, Mm. and we would talk all the time about GoPro and how they sort of had this interesting idea, but what they thought they were a camera company. And this might still be true for GoPro. I haven't really kept up with them in a while. But they thought they were a camera company, so they would try to invent new gadgets, new cameras, new ways of doing camera stuff instead of realizing that they were a a company that was serving, you know, adventurers. Right, extreme sports Folks, you got to know your clientele, right? That's like rule number one. Because those were their brand loyalists. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, In any case, we digress as we (laughs) often do on this show. It's the 1930s. They've got this airline catering business. They've got several hot shops, restaurants. And even though Bill may not be feeling great after that lymphoma diagnosis, uh, he and Alice have their second son, Richard. Now, Richard is definitely the lesser known son. Right. But you don't need to feel too bad for him because he worked in the business as well, taking over a huge chunk of it later on, which we'll get to. And in 2014, his net worth was listed at over $2 billion. That's not too shabby. Yeah. So (laughs) even though he's not as famous as his older brother, Bill, he did all right. Um, In any case, as the boys are growing up, Bill Sr. and Alice continue to grow the Hot Shops restaurant chain and actually take it public in 1953. Okay, 1953. So that means Bill Jr.'s a about 21 at that point, right? Yeah, and he had always been interested in the family mm. business. He was working, you know, in the different hot shops and different positions throughout high school and college. Um, and, of course, he was born and grew up in Washington, D.C., but the ties to Utah and the Mormon church uh, and all of yes. that were strong. So he ends up going to Utah for college, goes to the University of Utah, gets his uh, bachelor's degree in finance. So he was always a business guy. He was always interested. He was kind of—he was listening. He was learning when his dad was— 
you know, coming home at, at dinner and, and, t- and talking about work, right? He also went off and served in the military, actually on an aircraft carrier, before really taking his place in the Hot Shops company. Okay, so if I can jump in real fast, an interesting little side note is in 1954, two years before Bill Jr. even got into working at Hot Shops, he says that he learned a lifelong management lesson from then-president Dwight D. Eisenhower when he and his wife Mamie were guests at his parents' house. Okay, so when Eisenhower was given the option to either go outside and shoot quail in the cold or just stand by the fire, apparently President Eisenhower turned to 22-year-old Bill and said, what do you think we should do? And with that one statement, Bill says he tried to adopt that style of management as he progressed in life by asking his people simply, what do you think? I actually found an interesting clip from 2014 where he talks about that lesson that he learned. I was assigned to be the wardroom officer on an aircraft carrier, and I had a bunch of stewards who were doing the food preparation. I said, here are the recipe cards, follow them, and they gave me this glassy stare, and they said, we ain't following them, and I didn't know what to do. So I let them do their own thing, but I realized that I did not get buy-in from them. The four most important words in business are, what do you think? And I didn't ask the stewards in the Navy, what do you think? I said, here, do this. And I found out it doesn't work very well. I love that Bill Jr. was sort of picking up management lessons in odd places, if you will, before he even really became the head of the company. I mean, at this point, he's barely just getting started in the company. And he ultimately does, as we keep alluding, become the guy. So we'll get to him growing the hotel side of the business. We haven't even opened a hotel yet. We'll get to that right after this. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200 k for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. So it's 1956, and Bill Sr. is still running the company. He's the man. But now Bill Jr. officially joins the Hot Shops Corporation. And fast forward just a little bit of time, the family opens their very first hotel in January of 1957. So this is still with Dad, Bill Bill Sr. in charge, but Bill Jr. now uh, also a part of the company. And that first hotel was in Arlington, Virginia, which, if you don't know the area, is essentially a part of the D.C. metro area. It's sort of right there, right on the same metro line as D.C. and all of that. And it was called the Twin Bridges Motor Hotel at the time. If you were um, somebody who was around that area in those years, that later became the Twin Bridges Marriott. Um, But at the time, it was the Twin Bridges Motor Hotel. And so once again, you have the family expanding and innovating, and you would think it was just going to go swimmingly well, like all of their other decisions. Yeah, Yeah, because they knew what they were doing. Of course. They went from root beer to hot food and one hot shop to multiple (laughs) hot shops and multiple hot shops to airline food. So why not? A hotel. Uh, To our earlier point, right, they're still serving that tourist. They should know what they're doing. But alas, the hotel business is not quite as easy uh, of an an entry for them. So it's not going super well. And I ended up finding a clip of Bill Marriott actually talking about that, too. Yeah, this Bill Marriott did a lot of speeches and interviews for a span of years. Here's just a little clip of him talking about taking over the hotel business. And three months after opening, the hotel was struggling, and I asked my dad if I could take over this latest venture. He said, what do you know about the hotel business? I said, not very much, but I know as much as anybody else around here. I love that (laughs) so much, because I cannot tell you the number of conferences I've been to and, uh, you know, panel discussions and training sessions where entrepreneurs are getting taught how to pitch their idea. And can you imagine if an entrepreneur in modern times like went to an executive? No, granted, this is his dad, so it's a little different. But can you imagine if an entrepreneur went to an investor and said, I want to open a hotel business. I don't know much about it, but I know as much as anybody else here that they would get the money. (laughs) It's a big fat no. Yeah. No funding for you. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's look, family businesses obviously are a different animal because, you know, you give your your kids a choice or a chance rather that you might not give a stranger um, because you know what they're capable of. I will say the different thing too is he kind of had a right to go to his dad and say that because isn't that kind of what they'd been doing this whole time? Dad didn't have like a background in food and they opened an A&W shop and then the hot shops. So, So it was kind of winging it the whole time. Right. Well, I think that's the way things were. I mean, I think the business world was much more like that. I mean, even just think about Bill Sr. as a kid deciding to start a lettuce business, his dad letting him take the sheep and get on the train. I mean, I don't, you know, I just think things were different. You did what you had to do. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't know how to do something, you'd have to go get four degrees in it to be able to (laughs) execute it. Figured it out. You figured it out. I kind of like that, actually. That's always been more of my mentality Mm -hmm. um, rather than going and getting years of education on something. Right. Uh, Learn as you go. (laughs) Uh, In any case, essentially, from 1957, uh, when that first Twin Bridges 
now Marriott, Twin Bridges Marriott, opens through the 1980s. Over the next 25 years, Marriott grows and becomes, as we know it, a diverse global enterprise. And Bill Jr. becomes that visionary CEO whose leadership really transformed the hospitality industry. I mean, he's written books. He's come up with you know, philosophies of business uh, that have transformed not only his business, but business in general, mm. very well respected. Um, and, you know, we can sort of go through a little bit of it bit by bit. You know, they opened their second Marriott Hotel, the Keybridge Marriott, 1959. I think that's the first one that actually was called a Marriott right off the right. bat. Yep. And uh, by then, Bill Jr. has his first child, uh, Debbie Marriott. She Aww. was two years old at the time, and she uh, snipped the ribbon. Uh, I'm sure she had help, you know. <laughs> but in any case, uh, fast forward 1964, Bill Jr. becomes executive vice president of the company, uh, then ultimately becomes its president. Finally, we get the renaming. Hot Shops Incorporated becomes the Marriott Corporation in 1967. Okay, so Marriott, kind of, sort of, as we know it, officially became Marriott in 1967. Yeah. Right. Now, keep in mind, they still had hot shops. Of course. Uh, so the Marriott Corporation now owns, you know, Marriott hotels and hot shops, restaurants and the airline catering business and wow. you know whatever else they were <laughs> into. A uh, little interesting fact, you know, we've talked about a lot of our bizography companies that we've examined about sort of their attitudes towards race and gender mm-hmm. and all of those things in, you know, maybe sometimes early uh, well, in 1968, the junior hot shop in Philadelphia's Progress Plaza becomes the first African-American-owned shopping center in the United States. Oh, so interesting. It's, they, put a, they did business, essentially, putting in a hot shop in this African-American plaza. That's and, cool. And everybody wasn't doing that in no, those days. I'm sure that was controversial. Uh, yeah. So it's worth noting, I think, that they were trying even then to sort of have an open mind and be welcoming to all. And I know that to this day, diversity is a huge part of Marriott's you know, model, how yeah. they operate. Yeah. So there you go. Um, kind of an interesting, just a little tidbit there. Um, Marriott goes international in 1969, opening their first international hotel in Acapulco, Mexico. Ooh. Acapulco, I feel like, used to be... It's a fun word to say. It is. But it used to be sort of like the hotspotted Mexico, and then you started... It was it now like Cancun? Yeah. But still, right, they were bleeding edge a little bit in the 60s. That yeah. was definitely when the international travel was getting big. Yeah, so basically what starts to happen in the 1970s, and this is the same era when Bill becomes the CEO mm. of Marriott, is that they start um, branching out. They start you know, um, starting to get into other business. They get into the cruise business. This is also the time that Bill Sr., Jay Willard, as he later became known, (laughs) um, I guess just to differentiate, was really, it was time for him to retire. It's the 1970s. He was born in 1900. So he's 72 years old in 1972. And he's, it's time. But he was such a hands-on guy that he couldn't really do it. So he kept on, you know, going around and visiting employees and, and, you know, visiting the different properties. And, you know, it was Alice that finally had to say, like, all right, dude, turn the business over to Bill Jr. (laughs) He's got this. Why is that not surprising? Yeah. I mean, these are, this is a family that really, they weren't going to be like the retire and put your feet up kind of people. Right. You know? (laughs) Um, In any case, it's the 1970s when really I would say maybe this is when, if anything, Marriott makes some mistakes. Ooh. Nothing that was earth-shattering, but this is maybe when they began to um, diversify into too many sort of odd lines of business in this, you know, um, mode of, of expansion and growth. 
And a lot of companies were doing it at the time. And we saw that again with a lot of companies we've been covering over the season of bizography with RCA, with Sears, you know, with a lot of them. They just started diversifying and trying to become these massive, you know, big umbrella companies. Right, big conglomerates. Yes, absolutely. And so, for example, 1976, Marriott tries to go the Disney route a little bit and opens two theme parks. Who knows? I know, who knew? (laughs) Marriott had... Two theme parks, one outside Chicago, one outside San Francisco. They were called Marriott's Great America. Interesting. Yeah. Ugh. I know. <laughs> anyway, they weren't overly successful. Both uh, properties were sold in 1984. But mm. they also got into a whole bunch of other stuff in and around that time. And I think Bill Jr. even talks about that era uh, in that Forbes interview that we've already listened to a little bit of, right? Oh, yes, he did. In fact, here it is. Well, we started out as a root beer stand, and then the weather got cold. We put on food because people stopped drinking ice-cold root beer, and we called it a hot shop. And we've expanded that into airline catering and to a group of hot shop restaurants, Farrell's Ice Cream Parlors, Big Boy Coffee Shops. And then we followed the conglomerate rule of Harold Janine back in the 70s and early 80s when analysts wanted to know, what new business are you going to be in this week? So we got into cruise ships. We got into theme parks. We got into airline uh, air- security, airport security. We got into uh, doing all kinds of different businesses. And then we finally figured out, let's make money in the hotel business and let's focus on that. So we've spun off everything except the lodging side of the business. We even got rid of our timeshare business because we felt that that was uh, not as important to us as the lodging business. I mean, I think right there, you see something happening that a lot of our other bizography, we'll call them fails, <laughs> didn't get, right? It's like they diversified, and then, then that's when they sort of lose control of their companies. It's and, like they tried to cling too hard to the everything they were getting into. Yeah, and here it seems like he, he sort of was following the rules um, that were popular at the moment, that conglomerate sort of way of doing business. Mm-hmm. And when he stepped back, he said, no, that's not who we are. You know, we we were we're a hotel company and let's be a hotel company. And it was smart because I think if they had continued going down that road, they would have gone the way of Sears. Yeah, this would be a flame out story. I really think it would. And I think the fact that they were able to regroup and refocus then in the, you know, late 70s, early 80s is what saved the company from the fate of so many of the other uh like former icons, if you will, that we've talked about. So I think that was really important. And I I wonder too, you know, we've been talking about sort of the family culture, um, how much that helped, the having, you know, dad to go back and talk about all of this with um, and the brother involved and, you know, mom is involved. And so everybody's a part of this. And by the way, this is a family still that, you know, I'm going to say it this way, kept the faith because their Mormon faith was a big part of who they were the whole time too. So they were you know, religious and thoughtful and they weren't, you know, greedy. It wasn't about as much money as they could get no matter what. It wasn't about on the backs of employees without, you know, treating the employees right. Those kinds of things. Yeah, it wasn't what I think most millennials like me would call a, a traditional corporate mentality. It was very much about service and, and doing nice things for people. And yeah, you get money in exchange, but it's about the service you're providing more than like the business profit aspect of it. Yeah, I think it sort of kept them. I mean, look, I, I don't. Sometimes I think we tend to we, you and I, or me maybe, <laughs> tend to sugarcoat some of this because when you're looking back, it all seems rosy. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, 
they grew methodically yeah. and slowly. And they did ultimately, after they made that decision to focus on hotels, um, start to acquire other hotel brands and add different levels of hotel brands and all of that. I think it's also worth noting that in 1984, the first JW Marriott uh, was opened. And of course, that was in honor of dad. Oh. Yeah, that was in downtown <laughs> Washington, D.C. also. Um, also, I, I think, you know, speaking about the religious aspect of the Marriott's, in the 1970s, Bill Jr. devoted 25 hours a week as a Mormon bishop on top of the 70 hours a week he was spending as CEO of Marriott. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. It's, not, it's almost 100 hours a week of, of, like, dedicated working time. You know he did a lot of stuff at home, a lot of reading, a lot of phone calls that probably weren't clocked. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot to commit wow. to. So, yeah, just an interesting kind of note about who he was and his work ethic and, and all of that. Uh, in any case, the company, of course, continues to grow and acquire new hotel brands and and ultimately becomes what it is now. We'll talk a little bit about that growth and whether or not Marriott will continue to be an icon into the future right after this. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. All right. So we were mentioning that uh, the JW Marriott Hotel opened in 1984 in Washington, D.C. as a tribute to uh, Bill Sr., yeah. J. Willard Marriott. Well, it was kind of 
uh, timely because he passed away just one year later in 1985. And that same year, Bill Jr. became chairman of the board. And really, it's in the late 80s and moving into the 90s that Marriott um, becomes the Marriott we know now. In 1987, uh, with the opening of the first Fairfield Inn and Marriott Suites Hotels, Marriott really becomes the first hospitality lodging company to offer uh, what we now think of as a portfolio of brands. Different stars, so to speak. Yeah, and all the like different brand names where if you didn't really know, you wouldn't necessarily know that gotcha. it's Marriott. Okay. And I feel like all of the hotel companies do that now. Right. They acquire other brands or they just start brands at with sort of different commercial feels to them. Different right. prices, different... They don't necessarily say the buy Marriott on it. Exactly. You don't necessarily know that it's Marriott, but it is all owned by them. But they're all doing the same thing. Hilton Hotels does the same thing now. Um, IHG does the same thing now. Hyatt, they, they all do it. But Marriott really started that trend uh, in the late 1980s. By the way, they're also going you know, global at that time. They're going international, opening hotels all over the world. Um, it's 1993 when the company kind of takes what's left of their conglomerateness <laughs> because they still, by the way, have the food business. Hot Shops has long gone. Um, they, t- I think the last Hot Shops finally died in around 1990. Right. But overall, like, the brand had been kind of big and sort of narrowed down and down and down really um, after McDonald's became a thing. Right. They couldn't compete. Mm-hmm. Um, but they decided in 1993 to split off. So they split from one big company into Marriott International, which is the company headed by Bill, and host Marriott, which they acquired a company called Host along the way, so that's where that name comes from, but host Marriott is run by younger brother Richard. Okay, the one that was that we forgot about a little bit. Right. <laughs> he, he, in fairness to Richard, he was involved. He just right. wasn't the boss. Right. So, and, and, you know, he's not the one who gets a lot of credit. But in any case, he was a big part of it. And he, uh, you know, took over the, the host Marriott part of the business, which has gone through a couple name iterations. It was host hotels and resorts. And by the way, host hotels and resorts or host Marriott, however you want to call it, um, owns hotels and properties also, but it's also the largest lodging REIT in the world, which is a real estate um, investment trust. I believe that's what it stands for. And um, that's a, a real estate, you know, basically they're buying a property. Whoa. So, okay, so it's, did I say that it's right? More real a, estate investment yeah, trust? Yeah, so it's more, a, like you said, like a real estate company than it is a lodging hotel hospitality company. Yeah, it's so funny because I've had, you know, I went to school for hospitality management and uh, I've had lots of friends who've worked in REITs. And every time I want to talk about REITs, I have to make sure I'm getting it right (laughs) so I don't embarrass my friends. It's a tricky acronym. That's kind of what's going on there. (laughs) Um, I think it's also worth noting before we wrap up that in 1995, Marriott also uh, brought a historic brand into its portfolio when it acquired 49% interest in the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Uh... Company. Um, and so it was a big buy for them, and they really saved the Ritz-Carlton company. I almost feel like we could do a whole other episode on Ritz-Carlton. Because, because they were on the struggle bus. They were, and they have a really fascinating history. And, you know, Ritz-Carlton, obviously a whole other level of service, to your point earlier. Mm-hmm. You don't, If you go to a Ritz, you don't necessarily know that it's owned by Marriott. Uh, I think Marriott was smart enough at the time to, when they made the acquisition in the early 90s, to say, the Ritz brand is the Ritz brand. And that's not where we're we're not going to get in the way of that. We're going to let Ritz be Ritz, and and I and they really still have. I think a lot of people don't realize that it's owned by Marriott unless you're in the biz. 
Um, right. I, I think I had known that and totally forgot till we went to research this episode. And I was like, oh, right. Yeah. I totally forget. Yeah. They really did save uh, save the Ritz-Carlton. And uh, it had a whole new life after Marriott mm-hmm. bought it. Uh, and there's many more uh, Ritz properties around because of that. Uh, also, just, just to note, Marriott also has the Renaissance Hotel Group, uh, Town Place Suites, Spring Hill Suites. I mean, you know, you basically name... A hotel brand, it's a good chance that it's a Marriott brand. We're up to like 10 just on the episode alone, and I know that we didn't name them all. We did not name them all. <laughs> and I also think it's it's worth noting, and I looked this up right before we started recording today, that the Marriott Rewards Program is the number one best-rated rewards program for hotels in the country as of this year. Huh. Uh, and so they're still sort of innovating and redoing. They just renamed the program. I think it's called Bonvoy now. Yes, um, yes. And they're doing commercials for it and all of that. So they they haven't, you know, sat back and rested on their laurels. They're continuing to sort of try to stay on the forefront of their industry and to innovate. Uh, they're still buying up companies. I mean, they're not slowing down. And I got to tell you, when we look at uh, company histories overall, we've seen a lot of bad CEOs come in, um, bad decisions being made, overexpansion, scandal, greed. <laughs> and I think, you know, now looking back on the 11 or 12 bizography episodes that we've already done, the family businesses tend to fare better. This is true. It may, it's got to be that tight knit because your family in general kind of has shared values and ethics and morals. I think having that as the basis has to help. I mean, we've certainly in the world, I don't know if we've covered too many of them, but seen family businesses where the family spats have gotten ugly and the business gets torn apart as a result. But when it's a strong, solid family, I think that really does lend itself well um, to uh, succession plans, uh, you know, to generational Mm -hmm. continuation of a business, which seems to be continuing for Marriott. If I have to get out the the bizography crystal ball, I think we should have one of those made, by the way. All right. That's a good Um, idea. But if I might have to be like a magic eight ball, but we'll make it happen. That's a better idea. Yeah. See, I start with an idea, you make it better. Uh, but yes, if I had to get out the bizography Magic 8 Ball, I would say it would land on, yes, Marriott will live on as uh, an icon for another 100 years. I really think it's it's a strong business and people are going to continue to be tourists and it's not going anywhere. Yeah, Innovation has been the way for Marriott since the start. I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. Ditto. That is our episode for today. We've got some more to come this season. We'll be back. Bizography is a production of iHeartRadio and DB Media. I'm your host, Dana Barrett. My co-host is Nick Bean. Our producer is Tari Harrison. And our executive producer is Jonathan Strickland. Have questions? Want to give us feedback? Or have a company you'd like us to cover? Email us at info at bizography.show or contact us on social. I'm at the Dana Barrett on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or just search for me on LinkedIn. Thanks for your support. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.